Well, we're approaching uh, summer. Good morning, Brad. How are you, buddy? I'm so tempted to borrow the hair this morning. Yeah, the blue hair. I mean, that's that's awesome. If I had hair, that would be nice. It's like a Dr. Seuss book right there going on. Yeah, yeah, it's got the look going on. Uh, we every summer try to pick a book. Uh, a book of the Bible to go through. And a couple of the reasons we do that is we know that uh, Wisconsinites, once the sun comes out, um, scatter like cockroaches when you turn the light on. I mean, bam, we're gone, right? We're out. And there's no shame in that. That's awesome. And we wanted to encourage people to stay connected. And it seems that when we do book series, people really want to be connected to that. And so we would encourage you to watch online um, I mean, Trisha didn't even come to church this morning. Gasp? Anybody? No? The first service is like a... <gasps> so anyway, she didn't even watch it. So I told her to watch it. I was going to call her out again. So tire marks are on her back right now. Um, no, but we want you to watch. So if you're at your cabin and you can watch it online on, the, on your phone, wherever you're at, watch. The book we're picking this year is the Bible. You know, wait for it. It's the Bible. It's the whole book. Uh, and, and we wanted to do a series called 10, and it breaks up the Bible into 10 segments. Now, they're not my 10 segments. I resource quite a bit and from my past of just knowing there's some basic breakdowns to the Bible. And we wanted to do this series for a couple reasons. We, we feel like uh, there is a fear about the Bible. So we have three goals that we want to accomplish this summer with going through this series called 10 really an overview of the entire Bible. First, remove the intimidation. A lot of people I talk to today are, are fearful of even beginning this because they feel ignorant, dumb, uh, like, I don't know what this is really meaning, I don't understand it, and it's an intimidating book, especially when you have people running around acting as if they have it all figured out. Can I just put a news flash out there? Anyone who starts to portray that they've got the whole Bible figured out, kind of run away from them because it's not true. The depth of the scripture is powerful. Every week I get up here, I feel more and more amazed and I would say humbled by the depth of it. And so you need to know this morning that our first goal is to remove the intimidation so you can get back into it. We want to rekindle your engagement. Statistics are out there today that many Christians uh, that claim themselves Christ followers are not picking up their Bibles. Now you may say once in a while, but on a regular basis, picking up that, that book, most Christians have not read the whole Bible from cover to cover. Now that's not a shame or a guilt or hopefully you don't walk away feeling like this is going to make you feel terrible. But it is the book that tells you the story about the salvation for your eternity. It would be the source for your entire life's really goal and, and life's purpose. And so to know that story is really important and we would suggest that, man, that would be that you would re-engage with that. Thirdly, we want you to realize there's a bigger story. It's, it's not simply just to take sections out of it like a lot of people do. Oh, thou shalt not do this, and thou shalt do this. 
And they, they take sections of the Bible. And friends, there is a broad story, a big story, that the Bible is teaching that you need to grasp. And every section of it is gospel-centered that points to an answer. And his name's Jesus, just to get that out. And so it's the spoiler alert. The spoiler alert, it's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so you're going to find, whether it's in Genesis or Revelation, it's all about Christ. And so there is a bigger story that you need to hear. Now, the Bible was not given for our information, but our transformation. There's a story of a, a rabbi priest and a Catholic priest, and, and they get into a massive car accident, and they total both of their cars. And as they crawl out of the wreckage, uh, the, the rabbi crawls out and says, this is an amazing miracle. He says that we're okay. He, and he recognizes this priest and says, are you a priest? He says, I sure am. And fascinated by that, they said, this must be a miracle of God for who we are and what we do. And God has spared us. And the priest agreed. And the rabbi said, you know what? There's another miracle. And looks inside of his car and there's a full bottle of wine, unopened and undamaged. And said, this must be another miracle. And opens up the bottle of wine and says, we've got to celebrate this and hands it to the priest. And the priest chugs about half of it and gives it to the rabbi. And the rabbi puts the cap back on. And the priest says, you're not going to have any? He says, not till the police come and fill out the report. <laughs> I just, probably my favorite part of the week is just finding one of those. Uh, if we treat this book as information that we can use as a weapon, it's wrong. If, if we take this book and leverage the information to usurp some sort of authority or higher, higher level to other people, it's, it's wrong. This book was never meant for us to leverage as Christians as information that we wield to harm, guilt, or shame other people. It is for transformation. This book is for transformation. And so I really don't get super excited about a bunch of Bible geeks with a bunch of answers about God as information. Uh, as one writer put, we need to be cautious about the things we do know because those are the things we're going to be held accountable for for putting in our lives. There's plenty in here. In fact, in, in Timothy, it says, 2 Timothy 3, 16, it says, all scripture is God-breathed. All, all the scriptures that we believe here at Community Church, that it is the inspired book of God, given to authors to write down, but inspired by God. And it is useful, or as one of the versions says, profitable for teaching, for rebuking. What does that mean? Calling someone out for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. Do you want to be equipped to be a better follower of God? You've got to read your Bible. Do you want to see transformation in your marriage? You got to pick up your Bible. Do you want to see change in your family, in your workplace, in the people around you? Then you got to pick up your Bible. Friends, it is that story. It is that story that tells us about the nature of God, the character of God, and the call of God on our lives. 
You can't rest as a Christian just by a pastor every week teaching you some message. You've got to pick up your Bible. Now with that, it means it's intimidating. And there are a lot of things about the Bible that create some tension about understanding it. I will say, though, it is still the widely the most read book. This is a 50, uh, a 50 years, the last 50 years. It's still top, it's the top book sold and read. Now, this doesn't take an account like handed to somebody if it's given. This is bought or sold. But look, I mean, it's, it's massively the most popular book. No matter what people debate in our culture today about the Bible, it is still the most read book. Now, one of the things we're not going to do in this series, and I recommend that we'll put some links out there from past messages. One of the things, the objectives we're not going to do this series is try to convince you of the validity, uh, of the authenticity, of the accuracy of Scripture. We've had from John Dixon to J. Warner Wallace, many teachers we've put on this stage with apologetics around the idea of the, va- the valid nature uh, and the authorship um, outside of itself of the, the validity of Scripture. It is a book that can be trusted. But we want you, that, that's something you'll have to go back and look at. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that at all. We're taking the assumption that you believe that in this room. We do as a church. So with that, there are two books that we're going to recommend, and we're going to read from one of them in the service. Uh, one is the, Stories of God's, the Story of God's Love for You by Sally Lloyd-Jones, an interesting creative storybook written actually intentionally for kids to be read by adults to their families. Here's what they found, and it's fascinating, even in our own home, as my wife is reading this to some of our girls. Uh, adults are finding they're absolutely moved to tears as they read this book. And so now it's become a popular book for adults to read this story. Now, it isn't written to be one of those very literal or exacting books. It's a very creative way to tell the story. Very powerful. I'd recommend it. I'd recommend it to read to your kids, for you to read yourself. We'll draw from one of those this morning. But secondly, another book is The Essential 100. Now, notice it doesn't say the right 100, you know, like it's like the exact thing you have to know. It's going to give you 100 essential passages in your Bible that are important to understanding the bigger story. And it's written by Whitney Cunahome, and I would just encourage you to pick that up. Now, we'll have those in the next couple weeks in the lobby, uh, but you're more than welcome to go on Amazon, and if you want to pick those up, we would recommend it. In fact, I think Essential 100 is on Amazon. I can't remember. Oh, it's not. His own website, actually, is the Essential 100, I believe, and you can get it there. So with that, we're in this story 10. Now, the logo actually gives you 10 cubes. If you, how many people counted the cubes? Anybody in the room? Engineers, math people, finance people, yep. Um, anyway, so the colors all mean something, but it's 10 sections to the Bible. So this morning, I want to break out more of an overview. I'm only going to do that this morning of a broad picture of Scripture so you get a better understanding. First of all, The Bible has really two sections, an Old Testament and a New Testament. 39 books in the Old, 27 in the New. This is important because most people will rest in the New Testament because there's an assumption, well, that's old, right? Old Testament doesn't mean we have to look at it anymore. Actually, that's not true. Testament means covenant. It's another word for covenant. It's old promise. 
But it doesn't mean old like not good anymore. What you're going to find with covenants, and it's another message I think we should do a series of all the covenants, but God starts one and then adds to it and it broadens and it broadens. So the Old Testament picture is only going to get broadened and expanded on with the new covenant. Does that make sense? So Old Testament, New Testament. Now, uh, there are a lot of things in here that you need to understand. It would be really easy for me to stack. I asked this question in the first service. How many people have read a Stephen King book? Okay, good. Some of you are nervous. Like last service, I watched a couple of people go, not me, not me. Because not many people raise their hand. How about, about Dr. Seuss? Is that a little easier? You read a Dr. Seuss book? Yeah, a lot, a lot easier to, to raise your hand. Either of those, to stack all those books here, you would have an easier time understanding one author, one style of writing in one time period in their life. Here's the challenge with the Bible. It's 40 authors. It's 40 different authors written over 1,500 years. Friends, that already makes it a challenge. And so no doubt that as you look at the Bible, it is a challenge to interpret all of the diversity of that. Not only that, look at the different places these authors came from. You have a shepherd, a farmer, a tent maker, a physician, a doctor, a fisherman, a priest, philosophers and kings, a wide variety of writers, 1,500 years, 40 different ones. If we just stopped here, that would make it a challenge. Well, that's not the only challenge. Look at this. It's been written in three original languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and not modern Greek, but a Koine Greek. It's it's an older Greek language, one of the ancient Greek languages. So now there's this interpretive process with three languages, 40 authors, 1,500 years from diversity. Well, we're not done. Now you have all these types of literature. It's not like written one way. It's not like 40 authors said, we're all going to write historical narrative. Nope. You have letters. Some are just simply letters to a church. I'm going to write them a letter. Some are genealogical. That's like who begat who begat who is this son, this daughter. Then you have historical narrative, right? It's here's what happened. Statutory. Lawyers in the room, it's, it's legalese. It's all the laws, uh, religious laws. Then you have parable. Then you have poetry. And then you have proverbs. The diversity and the depth of Scripture. No wonder it's a challenge for people to engage it. Now that's why I do say, friends, one of the things that I didn't say last service, I'll say it now. We are gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to have Lighthouse Bookstores agreed for us to have some Bibles out um, that we're going to, I'm going to recommend that are varying from a, a kind of a kickoff start kind of a Bible that has certain notes. So I think it's important that Bibles have at least some sort of commentary for you or at least a place to put certain things that you might ask as you read it. And so we're going to have some of those out in the next coming weeks for you to look at. So the Bible is, I love what Augustine says, the Holy Scriptures are letters from home. This is our book. This is our book. Church doesn't have another manual. Community doesn't draw from a, like how to build a great church book and it sits in some sort of archive like written by the ancients. It's here. It's the story of God, and we draw from what we understand and know. And we're not perfect here. 
But we as an elder board, as a staff, as a lead team, as key volunteers, this is what we draw from. How do, we, how do we live as godly men and women? How do we operate in a church community? How do we love lost people in a community that's broken? This is where we draw from, that love letter from God. Now, everybody has in there a, a card, a yellow card. Every week you're going to get one of these cubes, right? And so each of these are a color that represent a section of the Bible that we're going to deal with. Today, we're, and so you're supposed to take notes. If you are hoping you could just sit down and not do anything, you're going to be disappointed. So there's a lot of notes. Now we'll post the finished product of this note online. So you're going to feel a little bit like you're going back to school and there's going to, that panic is going to set in. Some of you already drew a weird picture on here and you're already in trouble. You're trying to erase madly and we don't have erasers on those pencils. Uh, this is what you're going to take notes with, all right? Now, it's yellow in nature because it's going to deal with the first set of books in our Bible, uh, and that is uh, the Pentateuch. But what if you do here is first, on the left-hand margin, draw five boxes, just five boxes. Stack them each. You can get, you know, kind of large there, but you're going to need three columns of information, all right? So five boxes. All right, above that, write a number one because this is the first of ten weeks. And this is the first section of understanding your Bible. Next, you're going to write the title of this morning for the first five books. Now, I could have picked two other words. I could have picked Torah, which is the word that the Jewish culture would use, a Jewish rabbi would use to describe the first five books. Uh, and that is called the Torah. Uh, or another common term is called the Pentateuch. Um, both are difficult to remember, so we're going to call it the Fab Five, the Fabulous Five. These are the first, the Fabulous Five books that really set a context for why we even need a Savior called Jesus Christ. So you can put the Fab Five there. On the right, you can put these three points, bullet points. Um, first is the Torah is the way that the Hebrew Bible would be mentioning to these first five books. Know that if you were... Uh, if you were Jewish, uh, back in that ancient time, probably not as much today, but you would, as uh, before you were nine years old, memorize the first five books of your Jewish Bible, which would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, by heart. You would know those before you were nine. So you think about the serious nature at which the Jewish culture would embrace the Torah they said it was like honey, and it would be like to drink in the Word of God. To, to eat it, it was sweet. The other word, Pentateuch, penta meaning five, is the first five books of our good book, our Christian book, which would be both Catholic and Protestant. Um, Catholic Bibles will have other books added in later, uh, but the first five books would be the same. Um, the author is Moses. Now, we need to just make a statement here. The author is inspired by God because Moses obviously was not there for the creation of the planet, right? So Moses was given the inspiration to write the story of God. Now, obviously, there's a lot that in that historical narrative he is a part of, but obviously for creation and some of the early uh, uh, generations of humanity, uh, Moses was not there, but he wrote them. Uh, so there you have it. So now you have the, the books. Write in those Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 
Genesis being beginnings, you could write that. It's a good way to remember it. Uh, we probably need to bring... Uh, th- there's a... I'm drawing a blank. What is it called? Um, what's the... I just said it last service. Duh. This is why you should have notes, and I don't. Um, uh, what's the organization that does this? Gives you, Walk Through the Bible. Thank you. Uh, walk Through the Bible does this. Anybody done Walk Through the Bible before? It's actually brilliant. It does hand signs and motions, and they have key words. We should probably bring that somewhere um, in, our, in our journey. But Genesis would be a way to remember is by beginnings. Exodus uh, is another word for exit, but wanderings. Leviticus is the priests. I'm going to put some more stuff here. You'll see in a minute. Numbers, uh, simply numbers. Uh, Deuteronomy, uh, the law. Now, let me give you a couple of these. First, Genesis. Genesis is the beginnings book because it deals with creation of the world, the fall of man, which means man and woman. It means that the humanity falls away uh, from righteousness with God and we are exiting the garden. It's the Noahic covenant. Anybody know what that is? The Noahic covenant? The Noahic covenant is after he floods the earth, God brings a rainbow and promises what? I will never flood the earth again. It's a promise that God makes. It's, what, it's the first, if you, you don't count creation, it would be the first covenant. Uh, next we have Israel, the birth of a nation called Israel. You find out how and why that unfolds. And then we're going to land in this morning the Abrahamic covenant. How this nation of Israel is formed. And so these are important for you to know for Genesis. But what about Exodus? Exodus is going to deal with the how did the Israelites become slaves to the Egyptians? You're going to find that whole story out, how they end up there um, through the latter part of Genesis and then into Exodus. And then you're going to see how they're going to be exiting that slavery, uh, which puts you right to the historical document with Charlton Heston, the Ten Commandments. You with me? Anybody seen that before? Oh yeah, that's a classic. So then you find the Sinai Covenant, which is where God uh, calls Moses up to the, to the hill, and it's the Ten Commandments. Um, it's, it doesn't, it's not that bad, I promise. We, someone's already crying. Um, I haven't even gotten to the big stuff yet. Um, then it's the Promised Land being ushered into the Promised Land, this new land that God promises the Israelites. Leviticus. Who has read Leviticus cover to cover? Anybody in here? Wow. Impressive. It's my favorite book of the Bible. Favorite book of the Bible. Let me tell you why. First, it sets up and establishes worship. How is is someone to begin to approach the nature of who God is? Even the first five books talk about sacrifices. So let me give you a taste. The first sacrifice is the burnt offering. Uh, It means you bring the whole animal and it's fully burnt up. Paul will say in Romans, in verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he's, he's going to talk about this is your spiritual act of worship. He, he's referring to the fully burnt up nature of you crawling back onto the altar as a worshiper and giving the full person yourself. Okay, come on. I mean, God still requires that of our hearts to, to crawl back on and give fully of ourselves. 
Leviticus is loaded with this. It has the idea of priests. Remember that you're called. When Jesus comes and dies and raises again, we know that he resurrects. It says, now you are the priests. If you want an idea about what your role is about the priesthood of believers, because Jesus says no intercessors needed anymore. You don't need a priest to intercede for you anymore. You don't need someone to pray for you to God. You, because of Christ, he is our intercessor. Because of that, how are we to respond? You'll get the holiness of what it means to be part of this new priesthood. The law of God. See, there's such power in Leviticus, and it would be great for us to unpack that. Numbers gets into the census, and uh, it's the counting, and the whole wandering, and, and why they were counting people, and it's really the growth of the nation. Deuteronomy, another great book. Breaking down the history and the culture and the theology. Let me give you another one. So back then, if you were to have a skin ailment of all, they would probably label it as leprosy because they didn't know what it was. But it was just termed leprosy. It wasn't. But it could have been any kind of skin rash or something they didn't understand. Now God institutes a way for that not to physically become you know, an epidemic throughout the whole tribe of Israel and the nation of Israel. So what would he do? He would establish if someone has that and it's not gone away, don't touch them. That's probably smart. Have them separate for a while. Now, it wasn't alienate that person permanently. It wasn't shaming them and guilting them, saying, you dirty, unclean person, get out of here. It was separate for a while, only for what? For them to be healed and to what? To be restored. In the New Testament, Scripture often talks about sin as being a disease, an ailment. In the body of Christ, Paul will talk about when there's sin present, address it. If they don't, if it doesn't clean up in their heart and life, then separate them for a while so that by the time when they get clean, you can restore them back. Because sitting in sin and allowing sin to be in a culture that is approved of or not addressed becomes an epidemic. It becomes toxic. So often the church mistakes that we're supposed to kick people out because of sin. No, it's not because of that. It's so that there can be cleanliness and restoration to come back to. Friends, this is, this is critical. This is critical for our understanding of the Bible. That the Bible is loaded with this kind of understanding and depth. Now, I will say this. If you have not read the first five books of the Old Testament, you don't, shouldn't feel shame or guilt. But what I will tell you, it will unlock a deeper understanding of why Jesus came. Of why you need a Messiah. Of what is the hope that we have. It will bring depth and understanding when you hear a sacrifice, the last sacrifice. When you hear the curtain was torn on Easter, you have no comprehension of why. I've told you before, biggest pet peeve, one of my biggest pet peeves is walking into a movie late. I won't watch it. It could be a minute into it, I won't watch it. Why? All of us know in the first, what, 15 minutes, the most important elements of a movie are developed, right? It's the plot. It's the dilemma, the tension, and why you're going to labor through watching the rest of the movie. Most Christians today pick up in the New Testament, read the gospel story, and that's great. 
but you will get illuminated. You will be deepened in your understanding when you pick up and understand why we need a Savior. Okay, so with that, I want you to draw a line kind of going north and south all the way up and down. And the reason I'm going to do this is because where does these five books, uh, the, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the Fab Five, fall in our understanding of, of the scope of the story of humanity? And so you're going to, I'm going to laser in on one story. And it comes out of Genesis 12 through 15. And this story is what's called the Abrahamic Covenant. Now, very difficult task, you guys, in this series is to take a section of this many books and say, what one story can I give you as a landmark? Please don't take me this morning to say, I have decided what the whole of that is summarized by just this one. But I believe this covenant will give you kind of a, a landmark that as you read it, you'll say, I have more perspective on what's going on. Now, the Abrahamic covenant is an unconditional covenant. That means Abraham does nothing to receive this. God, we're going to see that in a minute. God's going to unpack and give to Abraham something he did not deserve. He just chose it. Why is God doing this? So let's go backwards or up. If we read into the story of Genesis, God creates man. God falls by sin and has exited the garden. That means we will die. And because of the price of that rebellion, we will die and not be connected to God. God, at the onset of leaving the garden, is already beginning to redeem his people. And so what you're going to see is the culmination of God beginning to do this by choosing a way to do that through someone. We'll see that in a moment. Unconditional covenant to redeem his people requires nothing. A promise, a promise is given to us through the sacrifice of Jesus. We're going to find, remember I said it's the Old Testament and the New Testament. These covenants, as they start to unpack, are going to get broader and broader. And we're going to find the Abrahamic covenant is something that we enter into through Christ. So pretty amazing. So this is your card. I'm going to leave this up there, so don't panic. It feels like uh, class again, but now the purpose of this is so that you take notes, you remember it, and slide it into, you know, that section of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, maybe right after Deuteronomy, slide it in there, and then you have a perspective of what this is. Now we'll post this online, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to have Molly read for us a chapter in the story of God's love for us. So I want you, however you need to focus um, close your eyes. Some of you don't close your eyes because you're going to start like falling asleep. Um, whatever you need to do, just listen to the writing and the story as it unpacked by Sally Lloyd-Jones. Years passed and things didn't get any better. People were still just as cruel and mean to one another. They still got sick and died. God's world was still full of tears and it was never meant to be like this. But God was getting ready to do something about it. He was going to make all the wrong things right, and he was going to do it through a family. Abraham, God said, how many stars are there? God was about to tell his friend a wonderful secret. Let me see, Abraham said, rolling up his sleeves. But have you ever tried counting stars? Then you know how hard it is. 993, 994, 996. 
okay, wait, one, two, of course, he kept losing count. Too many, he said. Guess what, God laughed. I will give you so many children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, you won't be able to count them either. Abraham couldn't help giggling at such wonderful ideas, but he stopped himself. How could he have a family? Don't be silly, he didn't have any children, let alone grandchildren. He wiped away a tear. Anyway, it was far too late for him to start having babies at his age. He was 99 years old. What could God mean? Abraham, God said, believe me. And then God told Abraham his secret rescue plan. Abraham, I will make your family very big, God promised, until one day your family will come to number more than even all the stars in the sky. Abraham looked up at the dark night, dark night sky thick with stars. You will be my special family, my people, and through you everyone on earth will be blessed. It was an incredible promise. God was going to rescue the world through Abraham's family. One of his great-great-grandchildren would be the child, the promised one, the rescuer. But it's too wonderful, Abraham said. How can it be true? Is anything too good to be true, God asked? Is anything too wonderful for me? So Abraham trusted what God said more than what his eyes could see, and he believed. Now when Abraham's wife Sarah heard God's promise, she just laughed to herself. But it wasn't a happy laugh, it had tears in it. She had always wanted a baby. Could her dream come true? Could she really have a baby when she was 90 years old? No, of course not, don't be silly, it was far too late. Sarah didn't believe God could do what he promised. She had forgotten that when God says something, it's as good as done. Of course, it was as easy for God to give her a baby son as it was for him to make all the stars in the sky. Sure enough, nine months later, just as God had promised, Sarah gave birth to a baby boy. They named him Isaac, which means son of laughter. And Sarah laughed, but this time it was a glorious, happy laugh. Her dream had come true. God would do as he promised. He would always look after Abraham's family, his special people. And one day, God would send another baby, a baby promised to a girl who didn't even have a husband. But this baby would bring laughter to the whole world. This baby would be everyone's dream come true. So this is a reading from this book, which gives you a, a broad picture of the story. What well, really from Genesis 12 even goes into 16 and 17. And so I'm just going to recommend you pick up your Bible this week and read this section. What I want to do is just pull out a couple pieces. Uh, it's not expository teaching. It's just a broad overview of this Abrahamic covenant. God's secret rescue plan. When he first talks to Abraham in Genesis 12, he says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. First of all, just look. When have you been asked to leave everything? I think often we see God fitting our kind of way and like, God, I want to follow you, but could it, could it be here in Green Bay? And could it be you know, on the river somewhere? Could it... Could it be with this kind of a job? And you recognize some of these men and women in Scripture that we read about have left everything. This is a very powerful picture, and I don't think we get what he's leaving behind. He says to him his promise, this beginning of the covenant, I will make you a great nation. 
Notice it's not saying, Abraham, I'm looking for you to make yourself a great nation. I will make you, God says. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Wow. He has no idea what God's promising here. But you see the first foreshadowing here about who's coming. Because right now it's just through his line. And we're going to find that Christ is going to come through this line of Abraham. But do you see the promise already given that we're going to be a part of it? First point, God blesses those whom he chooses. Notice that God didn't say, Abraham, you fit some requirements. You've kind of walked with me. We know Abraham's not perfect. You know, your, your resume looks really good. He just chooses him. And friends, you need to know that when you come to Christ, when God meets you, And I'm not talking about with information, but when he transforms you and he hits you in your soul in the deepest parts of who you are, you could rest in that he chose you. He he chose you. It goes on, it says, Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the tree of Morah at Shechem. At the time of the Canaanites were in the land. It was a dangerous time period. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring I will give you this land. And so look what he does. Abraham builds an altar there to the Lord. It goes on, verse 8, from there he went on toward the hills of East Bethel and pitched his tent with, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called to the name of the Lord. It's my second point this morning. Those who know God honor God. Let me just take just one minute here on this. We can't change people through morality. We won't change a government. We won't change a nation through laws on morality. We won't change people by trying to fix them to behave better. That transformation has to come from God. When your heart is transformed and you know God, you long nothing else but to honor him. You want to set up an altar every time you recognize the provision he's given you and your family. You want to put up an altar and just give him thanks and glory for every time he forgives you for our brokenness and flawed nature. You want to set up an altar every time you recognize the beauty of the creation that he's given us. Friends, you you begin a lifestyle of wanting to honor God. You don't set up a bunch of rules and regulations and hope people catch it. It's, it doesn't work that way. When you know God, you long to honor God. Abraham, you find it all the way through Genesis and Exodus. You're going to find they're going to all of a sudden stop. Wait, let's pile up rocks. Let's make an altar here. We want to remember this. How many things do you remember already in your small life history of what God's done for you? What altars have you built that honor God. I don't mean altars to worship, but just to be reminded of what he's done and who he is in your life. This is what Abraham does. Genesis 13, it says, Then the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are. And he's having him look north and south, east and west. All the land you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. Remember, and he says, It's going to be as vast as the dust. 
could be counted. He probably doesn't even fully understand this. He thinks he's just going to be a great nation. He has no idea that God is setting up a way. Do you, read, do you see how God's already setting up his son coming? Because Jesus opens up the door for all of humanity to be invited in. It's not just Jewish. God gives what is already his. God gives them land. God gives uh, people a part of this covenant. Whatever he's giving, he's giving from what he already has. We don't earn those things. Abraham doesn't earn the, the, the space in Israel. And can I just push pause here too? Some of you have been to Israel. Some of you have seen, we've been on Israel trips and more you read this, the Fab Five, you're going to get a perspective about what's happening even currently in Israel. That will fascinate and blow your mind. But you see even the promise of physical land being given to Abraham and to the Israelites. Very interesting how that's unfolding. God gives what is already his. Let's continue on. Genesis 15 then goes on to this covenant. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? So as you heard in the story, he's 99 years old. He's got to have an heir. And Abraham says, you've given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir? Is there just someone that works for me that's going to be the heir? It says, then the Lord, the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son from his your own flesh and blood. We're not getting too deep this morning in this, but I want you to know that line in itself. A son who is your own flesh and blood. What would we call Jesus? The flesh and blood, the son of God. He said he took him outside and looked at the stars, as, as Molly had read about counting the stars. That is your offspring. They'll be as vast as the stars. And Abraham believes the Lord. And it credited to him as righteousness. This is a powerful line that you'll see in your New Testament. Paul will quote it a few times. That God credits right standing with him through belief. Belief in what? All God requires is to believe in Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Right standing is not you cleaning yourself up for God. Right standing is, is given to you through the belief that you have that God is who he says he is. And Jesus, this gift that he sends us, is for us. We enter into this covenant that way. Galatians 3 is now your New Testament. See how we jumped? We jumped thousands of years already forward into the New Testament. Paul's writing a letter to the church in Galatia. He's writing into this Macedonian region in, in that time, and he's writing this letter, and he's trying to affirm them. And listen to what his words he says. This had to be powerful for them, because many of them weren't Jews. He redeemed us, God, in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means we're getting described that all non-Jewish people will enter into the Abrahamic covenant through Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew 
nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. God redeems us from the covenant that he promised Abraham through Jesus Christ. Your first section of your Bible is loaded. This Fab Five is loaded with the whole reason why Jesus comes. It gives you the whole depth and understanding of why Jesus had to be a sacrifice, had to be a son from God, had to be from the line of Abraham, which will later be David, and then it'll be in the line, that line, that kingly and priestly line of Melchizedek, that will all of a sudden be Jesus, the name of Jesus. It had to happen. Friends, that makes when we go to communion every week, but even especially this morning, we get to celebrate a covenant we're invited into, not performing for. As the team leads us this morning in, in this response, can, can I just ask you one question? Do you believe in the gift of Jesus? Are you trusting fully in the gift not by your own works, not by what you can do or clean up for God or get it right or get all the right answers, but he says, I'm offering you a way to enter into the covenant, this new covenant. And when you're in, you're a child of mine. And when you're in, you're clothed with Christ. All I see is Christ in you, and that makes you righteous. That puts you in the right standing. Friends, this morning you have a chance to go to communion and we're, we're commanded, if we don't know God, don't go to communion. And if, if you have something that's, you're harboring sin or bitterness, man, make that right before God and others before you go to the altar. Don't use it as a religious reset button. But leverage the opportunity for communion to be reminded of a covenant that you get to enter into, not because you deserve it. Father in heaven, this morning we thank you for these first five books. We thank you for the, the richness. God, might we this morning celebrate this covenant you've given us and allow us to enter into. In Jesus' name, amen.